Alright, I should probably provide a disclaimer before this one. Uh, just because every single one of you watching this doesn't know me personally, uh, I, I want to make it clear that just because I'm making a bunch of gay jokes at the expense of this imaginary character, I am not, in fact, a homophobe. Um, I'd probably be gay myself if I dated men. Um, but the fact is, gay jokes are funny to me because I have the uh, sense of humor of an eight-year-old. So just know that I don't mean anything by it, and I don't judge Trex for his lifestyle any more than you should judge me for being a man in his mid-30s who watches a children's cartoon. So, enjoy. Written by David Wise. Now there are three words I love to see before any Transformers episode. But then again, my feelings on titles based around awful puns on a character's name are pretty well documented as well. So right off the bat, I'm a little conflicted here. We open in New York City. Unlike the last time we visited the Big Apple, the animators actually made an attempt to make the place look populated and dirty. You have to remember, this was 1985. There was crime in New York back then. And dirt. This is pre-Giuliani. So these two punks, you can tell they're punks from the hairdos, steal a snazzy blue Corvette that someone just left lying around. They ignore the giant Autobot insignia on the hood, and granted they were probably blinded by those style and flames, crank up some tunes on the entirely inconspicuous boombox sitting in the back seat, and head off to their friendly neighborhood chop shop. Oh, and the tunes they're cranking may sound familiar. It's an instrumental mix of the song Cold Slither from the G.I. Joe episode of the same name. I promise to go into greater detail on this subject at a later date. It's really worth the diversion, trust me. In the middle of their shady transaction, the car reveals itself to be, you guessed it, tracks. And the boombox is Blaster. Whoa, it's like nothing with that unmistakable red insignia emblazed on it is what it initially appears to be. And then, just in case two full-sized Autobots aren't enough to handle a couple of punks in their car pimp, enrolls intergalactic hero Optimus Prime, followed closely by the NYPD. I can never emphasize this point enough, people. Optimus Prime is a terrible leader. He's actually allocated a significant portion of his army to helping catch car thieves in New York. Now granted, the city was a bit troubled during this time, as I mentioned previously, but I'm certain the Autobots could be doing better things with their time. Even if they decided to make Earth a safer place for their human pals, I'm pretty sure car thieves wouldn't even make the top 10 worst problems facing the planet in 1985. Hell, I was only 10 and I can think of a bunch. But here we are, hiding out in Sparkplug's garage, helping the police with their inquiries. I swear, I just want to kick every single one of you a complaint when they killed off Optimus Prime. The movie cannot come soon enough from where I sit. I think the animators feel the same way because the city's littered with ads for the thing. This is about as fourth wall as this, or any series, got back in those days. It's not clever, but it seemed like a passable imitation of clever back in the day. Also, it was the first confirmation we got that there would be a movie. Anyway, after we get our usual exposition about why we're camped out in this particular exotic location this week, and which characters will be joining us, Trax decides to go back out into the city for some invigorating city air, and is almost immediately stolen by more bemohawked thugs. Now, I admit, I was far too young to remember actual punks, but I've never actually met anyone with a mohawk who wasn't kind of intelligent, maybe a little naive, and very introverted. Not the car thief types, the mohawk guys I've known, but maybe the old school punks were more in the mold of the no-good-nick street toughs we see here. Trax gets in a scuffle, hits a lamppost, and immediately disables himself. Which, wow. I mean, current wussy missions notwithstanding, you guys are soldiers. You have flamethrowers and laser guns and stuff. And all it takes to knock you out of commission is a metal post? Yeesh. While he's sitting there smoldering, Trax meets this guy. His name is Raoul. 
Okay, seriously, if you need me to explain why the friendship between a vain flying Corvette with flames painted on the hood and this West Side Story cast-off called Raoul is gay, I think maybe you don't understand what gay is. Raoul claims right of salvage over tracks, assuming that since no owner is within immediate sight, the car must be abandoned. This is the third time we've seen this logic in action. I guess the expectation was that you remain in or near your car at all times in New York, or your vehicle just goes up for grabs. This is probably something they should tell you when you enter the Holland Tunnel. I don't know who used to own you, but you're mine now. Yeah, not at all gay. Don't know what I'm thinking. We get the usual, whoa, you're a car, you can't talk, scene, which is kind of sweet in a weird Tracy and Hepburn sort of way. Anyway, I need the bread more than I need a set of wheels. More than you need a friend? Oh god, he's Hepburn. Raoul's mafia contacts come after him, as he promised them a car by midnight. Where is the car, they ask him. Why are you not getting the car now? And so on. The crime family he's working with are called the Gettys Brothers, which I think is a reference to the crime boss Jim Gettys in Citizen Kane. At least I'd like to think David Wise would toss in a highbrow reference like that. Trax bravely defends his... friend, and chases the Gettys Brothers away. A car chase ensues. You're... you're flying! Seriously, how is this not a thinly veiled metaphor for a young man's sexual awakening? Alright, alright, I'm done with that. Honestly. There's more to this episode than the love story. I think. Oh yeah, there's the inevitable revelation that the car thievery is a Decepticon plot. Ooh, they must be trying to even the score on the ground by creating their own sub-team of car robots. Well, alright, no. We're about 15 episodes too soon for that bright idea. For now, Megatron's keen to create a bunch of robot drones out of the stolen cars. Which is somewhat similar to those terrible robot cabs in City of Steel, but this time it's just a little cooler. But only a little. It'd probably help if we knew what the end result was meant to be. Megatron really needs to stop making cool stuff just for the sake of making cool stuff. So many of his plots would be greatly enhanced if they had, I don't know, an objective. Oh, and if Trax's weakness to lamp posts wasn't bad enough, apparently all you need to take out Megatron is a strategically aimed can of orange spray paint. <sighs> the plot is foiled, but clearly that's not the primary focus of this episode. No, what we're concerned with is the lasting friendship between Trax and Raoul, which I assure you is revisited later this season in the episode involving the hypnotic nightclub. Not a word of that is untrue, I assure you. And between you and me, this entire series of reviews has been building to that one. And now it's time for this week's science lesson. Hoist, as you'll recall, turns into a full-sized tow truck. And Huffer here is a mini-spy who maybe comes up to Hoist's waist in robot mode. But somehow, one fits handily inside the other. I suppose it's my fanboy duty to mutter something here about subspace or something. Trax certainly seems to enjoy investigative work. Hmm, Huffer? Yeah, he'd rather hang out with humans than us any day. For obvious reasons. At least humans aren't sticking the mud, spinning their treads all day long. Oh, and don't forget, FAQ in a few more weeks. Send me your questions.